Everyone, welcome to Manufacturing Hub. I am Dave. This guy up here is Vlad, and we'd wel- like to welcome Nikki Gonzalez and Ali G, the automation ladies, to the show. So, Ali, Nikki, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having us, Dave. Having us. Absolutely. Uh, and so, before we get into it, uh, Nikki, you have been voluntold that you get to tell everyone who the automation ladies are. So, if if our audience doesn't know who the automation ladies are, can uh, can you help them out, please? Yeah, sure. So Automation Ladies is, uh, we're a podcast, sort of, or it's me and Allie doing things. We're still figuring it out. Okay. Uh, we gave ourselves a name that's really, I, I posted this a couple days ago, but um, I was listening to the podcast Office Ladies, uh, which mm-hmm. is Angela and Pam from The Office. And I thought, how cool would it be if I had a friend that I could talk about automation to? Um, and I found Allie and I had this crazy idea of us doing a podcast and she strangely agreed. And so that's kind of what what happened. Um, We didn't really have a great plan. It was kind of like a spur of the moment thing, Um, but we are ladies of action. So we just figured out how to make it happen, sort of. We're still working on it. Um, And it turned out that we have some great connections in a community on LinkedIn. We started a LinkedIn page uh, before we actually got the podcast out. And it has been amazing in terms of we have just kind of like this community of people that are interested in what we're doing, that support us, that, you know, we post a lot of other people's contents. Uh, one of the reasons that we started the show was because we felt like there was maybe, there are not as many women as we would all like, I think, in our industry. It's hard for us oftentimes to find each other in person at the work sites or at our companies. So the way Ali and I found each other on LinkedIn, we thought, hey, you know, if, if we were out there more, if there were other girls or women that are looking for or lacking somebody to chat with about automation that maybe also, you know, can talk about their kids at home or, you know, whatever the sort of stuff that we might have in common for being ladies in automation. Uh, we decided to, to put it out there and um, we have found some great connections, friendships uh, and, and those sorts of things, opportunities through that. But so, yeah, we are on iTunes and, you know, all those other places we released season one. It's 13 episodes uh, that we recorded and did last year. So you can go back uh, and listen to those if you'd like. They're not very well produced. Uh, from our side, we have an awesome <laughs> producer that had crappy material to work with, and we're getting better at it. Um, but yeah, so there's the podcast. We are actively recording and releasing season two. So we'll be releasing an episode tomorrow. Our release schedule is roughly every week on Thursdays. And then we do LinkedIn Lives sometimes. So our first uh, episode of the year was with Courtney Fernandez. We streamed it live on LinkedIn, and it got released as an episode last week. And then the one that we're releasing tomorrow is pre-recorded. Uh, we're not there yet to a point where we have, you know, we show up every week like you guys uh, every Wednesday. It's awesome. Um, we're trying to kind of figure that out if we can fit that into our schedule. But that it not in a nutshell. <laughs> is automation ladies (laughs) i would say what's really important and and nikki you mentioned this early in your description is just getting started right i I think a lot of people probably reach out to you and sometimes reach out to us as well and ask well i would like to do something on social media whether it is a podcast uh posting blogs content and they sometimes i think they get stuck and overthink uh, what to create or when to post but i think that mindset of just starting and then improving and experimenting and certainly me and Dave can relate to that too because again we don't have the best production quality I think we've figured out a lot of things on our own you know we've 
hack things together, but it's just uh, it's just kind of pushing through. And I think it relates a lot to controls as well, right? If we want to step on the technical side, there's a lot of times that there's uncertainty. You don't know what's going to happen. You need to experiment and kind of uh, get through it. But no, really appreciate that uh, that introduction. Uh, I wanted to maybe e ask each one of you, uh, maybe we'll start with uh, Allergy and then Nikki. Uh, your personal backgrounds, how did you get started in manufacturing? What is it that you do now? Um, how did you land again in the space? And yeah, any other comments about manufacturing? Um, yeah, I can answer that. But first, um, I wanted to make a comment that like, I, I've heard a lot of people say, because I've asked them, like, would you come on the, would you come on the podcast? And I've already decided that they know enough to talk on the podcast. <clears throat> And people will say, that's, that's a lot of pressure. Like, I don't think I know enough for people to listen to me. And they're wrong. And um, they're so, so wrong. And one of the things that, like, I understood from when I first read it, and I'm trying to remember who posted it, but basically somebody said, maybe it was Justin Welsh, but he, somebody said that something that you find common knowledge, somebody else will pay for. And so you don't know what you know, and that's a really big thing with engineers where we don't believe that we know a lot more than we do. And even the basic stuff to us seems like ridiculous, but a lot of people would really love if you could just tell them the basic stuff just to get into an industry. Um, sorry, but anyway, my name is Ali G and I was trying to hide like every other engineer does. Um, and then I met Nikki and realized that that's just like not actually how we're gonna help the future generations do anything, um, especially, because she's right. Like, is there a whole bunch of women with like this hardware behind them? No. Um, would that be nice? Yeah, and especially because women wanna see like, what are other women doing and not just what the men are doing. And obviously we love what the men are doing. Otherwise, that's why we're like emulating what the men are doing. But there is like some sort of, I guess, responsibility that the girls have to kind of just do the whole representation does matter. And I, we keep saying it over and over and over again and beating a dead horse. But it's true, um, especially to the people who aren't represented here. And they get really stoked when they start seeing stuff. I get messages all the time. So to me, that's important. But what I do is I was just a, I'm an engineer. I spent 10 years engineering and then I was crazy enough to start my own business with the help of people pushing me. It wasn't just me. I had all the same fears that normal people have. Um, and I just had really good backup that were just like, you have it, you have it, whatever it is. And you know, that still doesn't mean that if I had failed that those people are responsible. want to make that clear because it's still me to choose to do that stuff. So that's me. I want to go to Nikki. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So Nikki Gonzalez, my, my dad's an engineer and an entrepreneur, and I grew up working with him uh, since I can remember. I started babysitting. Um, I actually moved to the U.S. when I was 12, and I didn't get a working visa until I was in college, and then I got a green card uh, sometime after that. And I'm a dual citizen now, but I couldn't get a real job like when I was in high school. Um, so I worked for my dad. He paid me, I don't know, from his own pocket <laughs> somehow. I think I started at like $5 an hour. So totally not legit, but you know, family business. Um, and 
he has always been a person that like he, we grew up in a small he grew up in a small town in Iceland and that's where I screw up until I was 11 uh, about 16,000 people um not you know opportunity it's a, it's a great place to live um but we didn't come from a lot my my family are like farmers and stuff uh it, in the earlier generations and so my dad was always you know finding different ways to make money side hustles businesses he would flip cars and build computers and 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 he um yeah i got i got an engineering degree he used to sell fish <laughs> uh he would like buy fish at the dock and then drive it out to the countryside and sell it door to door. Uh, and so I just saw this like drive. So my dad actually, you know, coming from a really small place in a, in a small country like Iceland, you know, how do you get opportunity on an international scale, for instance? Well, he was working with a tech company that was doing fishing stuff and location um, and, you know, IOT before that was a thing. And he ended up working on some EU initiatives for fisheries monitoring. And he just got himself noticed by being good at what he does. And he's one of those engineers that is also social, I guess. And so he ended up sales engineering stuff, even though he wasn't in sales at all. But he got noticed by this multinational, this British company. And they were like, hey, you you made this giant sale just from you know being a good, I guess what you would call pre-sales engineer or whatever. You, you put together the right solutions and you talk to the right stakeholders and they they buy something. Um, and so he ended up being a marketing manager. And that's what got us uh, moved to the U.S. He, I guess he had this dream. They were like, hey, do you want to come work for us here in England? Or he's like, I really want to go to the U.S. And they were like, oh, we have a survey branch in Houston. You can you can go there if, if you come work for us in England first um, for a while. So that was kind of like how I ended up in the U.S. as a kid. And I really saw my dad as this role model that I wanted to follow. Like he was going on international business trips and uh, and at the same time was doing it and, you know, solving technical things. And he would talk about these things that I didn't really understand, but sounded cool. Uh, like he wrote his uh, master's thesis on uh, an artificially intelligent robot at, back in like 1987. Um, and I didn't know what any of that was, but it just seemed really cool. But when I was in high school, uh, the the sciences and the math was harder for me. I had to do a lot more studying for that. Whereas English, surprisingly, even though it's not my first language, super easy. I love talking to people. I was in theater, that sort of thing. Um, and so I ended up, I saw my dad as a business owner by that point. He had gone from you know being an engineer to being a marketing manager to starting his own company he still does all the CTO stuff, but he was also like the CEO, right? So I I was like, hey, I'm from another country. I moved here. I like doing business. I'm going to get an international business degree. No idea what that really means. It's just a little bit of everything in business with like how to do it across borders. And it has no good starting point for there's no like starting job for an international business degree. Like what? I don't know if you want to get into maybe import export or something, but I ended up getting lucky and I got hired by Keynes University because <laughs> they hire anybody with a college degree that can like meet their very stringent requirements and have show an aptitude for learning how to do something. And I stumbled upon the amazing world of factory automation, which I had never heard of, never seen. Um, I had never really been into a factory. Um, and it wasn't until way later that I realized that my family, actually, I have a bit of a history, like my family, my parents met at a dairy 
that they used to work in in the summertime. And my grandfather like made butter his entire life. And, but you just, as a kid, you don't really see those careers out there. You see like, you know, the stuff that's in popular media. Um, and even though it was right in my backyard, I, j I just didn't know. But that's how, so I started out as a, even though I do have this business degree, I think I got kind of the engineering mentality from my dad. Um, I'm a, I, I love solving problems and helping people. And turns out sales engineering is pretty much that. You puzzle something together that works. And if it works well enough, then hopefully somebody buys it, right? I'm, I'm not an ABC person, like closing deals. Like, no, <laughs> you've got the wrong salesperson on your hands there. Always closing. So I did vision <laughs> systems because that was the most complicated, difficult, masochistic like product line you could pick out of everything, right? Um, it'll never work unless you get all of the pieces right, the lights and the and all of that. But I, I love that. And then I'm just a perpetually curious person. I couldn't stop at the application I was looking at. I would I would love to do line walks like Courtney mentioned. Um, Courtney Fernandez, she was on one of our episodes recently when she was a systems integrator. They could just go into a plant and just look at the whole line. And like make recommendations and and I just would always look upstream and downstream from what I was inspecting and go, oh, wouldn't it be cool if you could catch this earlier in the process? Or what I'll happens after notes, on how to give you a job? <laughs> like what happens after I note that this is a bad part? We gotta kick it out. Well, where do we kick it? What what happens to it? Um, and so I just made my way by uh I love going to trade shows. So I, you know, met I some people. That. Through shows and, and stuff like that. Um, I guess my first job after Kean's, I got recruited from LinkedIn to work at Festo. And so I got to learn all about pneumatics and electromechanical automation and drives. And like, it was just super cool. And I've sort of stumbled my way through things since then, taking whatever opportunity I think is interesting. I ended up in engineering software sales for um, electronic, for prototyping, virtual prototyping of electronics, doing optimizations. And I immediately was like, whoa, you mean you don't have to make this thing and test it and then check it again and then make a change and then test it again, right? That's That seems amazing. You can use GPUs for that and just run a whole bunch of simulations. That's awesome. Um, so I've just had, I, I always thought I would go back to school and get an MBA, but I've had way too much fun learning on the job in my weird career. Um, and now I work for a startup uh, that is doing supply chain stuff for... Uh, industrial automation. So we have this huge disconnected sales channel of all these independent regional distributors that have a line card that carry some stuff. Um, and they have warehouses, most of them in the back with some stuff that they have in stock that usually most people don't know about except for their local customers. Um, mm -hmm. And right now with the world the way it is, connecting our supply chain is super important. We have more demand for automation than I think we can really fulfill right now. We have a lot of machines waiting to get out the door because something is missing. Um, and that's really sad because we could all be doing more automation, I think, if we could get our parts together um, and help each other to ship those things out. So yeah, this is my second startup that I've worked on. I found that I'm I'm just a crazy enough person that I do really well in like uncertain situations where you need a person that can wear a lot of hats and have a lot of ideas and is willing to test them out and fail and not have an ego about things. So, uh, and I'm also very uh, not concise. So I'll stop there. No, definitely appreciate that. I, I think there's a lot to unpack in many directions we can go from there. I <coughs> will make like one comment. I think that the, the key in sales program, I've heard a lot of 
good things from people who have been through it. And obviously on the end user side, you know, sometimes they get pestered by it. But I think ultimately I would say it's a great way to learn like engineering sales, right? And I think not enough engineers have that skill set. And so I think like understanding sales and technology makes you really key to any organization. Right? And, I, I well, think and what I love about their process is they don't just teach you the sales. Yeah, they do teach you that part, but they do want you to be an actual product expert. And that's why they split up their product lines. And that's why you have a bajillion cans people calling on you because they all know what they do sell really well, or they should anyway. And they should be able to show up with their demo and solve your problem on the spot that, or at least try or take your, huh? That extra information that they give you you could give that to everybody. It doesn't mean they'll be able to sell it. True. Uh, right. So right. That, it's a, that is still a natural thing to be able to sell anything because most yeah. engineers suck at it. But like for an engineering company like that, to be able to say, Hey, you're fresh out of college. You, we know you don't know our stuff, but we're going to put you through six months of learning it. And we're going to, you know, it is like an extension of college because they quiz you and test you and like the whole, the whole nine yards. It feels like you're continuing to go to school. But it is, it's extremely valuable. And then, you know, getting to, I was really lucky. Like my first territory was in included wine country and wineries don't get called on, I think too much by automation people. And they're super friendly and they were all willing to take my, you know, like beginner demos of machine vision. Free samples. <laughs> well, now we know who to call for, for business in the automation. Uh, so, so speaking of wine country, did you call on the Gallo uh, wineries while you were there, Nikki? Yes. Okay. So I met a bunch of those guys at Automation Fair a number of years, a number of years back. They are the craziest group of people. Um, I, I think I have ever met, at, especially at the open bar. Um, they, they really loved their job, at least the perks of their job, but they all seem to very much love their job and, uh, and enjoy the, the spirits of their labor, if you will. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. The samples with misplaced labels, but good wine inside were yep. definitely some of my favorite parts. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So uh, we'd like to talk a little bit about kind of the workforce and what your projections are in the workforce and, and maybe kind of circle back to how do we get more people, uh, more people who look different, especially to, than Vlad and I in, into the workforce. And I know Nikki, uh, we, we prepared you a little bit better than we prepared Allie for this question. So I'm going to let you go first and then tell us kind of what, what your thoughts and projections like that uh, look like, please. Projections. Okay. So, we are, I mean, the facts are the facts. We are, we're going to have a workforce shortage for the foreseeable future. Um, demographics, right? People are retiring. There's not enough people to replace them. And the people that are available to work, why would they want to come into our industry when there are now, a, you know, a thousand different ways to make money with an app from home, uh, work in the tech. I know we just, there's a bunch of tech layoffs recently, but in general, like manufacturing and automation has not been the industry du jour to go join when you're a smart person in, you know, with a college degree or uh, even I think, you know, service jobs in some cases are more attractive to people that don't have the education because, you know, it's like, oh, you, you know, you're working at a Starbucks or something, you get to talk to people and, you know, you get good benefits and, um, those sorts of things like it, it we are at a, an extreme disadvantage uh, in the manufacturing industry in terms of attracting quality talent um, unless and, and a lot of us just kind of 
we realize how much we love it once we're here and we probably won't leave. But how do you get people from the outside to see that this is a really cool career? Um, and that there are so many different ways to get into it too. I think it just, there's, there's not enough about it in popular culture. Uh, people like me, right. I didn't have a predetermined idea of what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And it was just kind of happenstance that I was into kind of engineering, but not with an engineering degree. What do you do with that? I don't know exactly. Um, and I lucked my way into this, but like, we're not going to get the people that we need with this letting people lock into it and hoping that they do. Um, so A, there's going to be a labor shortage in general, right? For all kinds of jobs. And B, we're going to have to compete with all those other industries for these people. Uh, so things are not looking great on that front. Um, and we've been saying it for over 10 years and not much has changed. And now it's even worse. And like what we have is a long-term problem in terms of people coming, like kids coming out of school. Most of them are not like me where they're like, I have a degree, but I have no idea what I want to do. Mm -hmm. Like they're going into nursing programs or different things where they have an idea of what their career is going to be. Um, and, and so how do we solve that? Well, we happen to be in the industry that kind of solves it, which is automation. We just have to make it to where we can do more stuff with less people, for one. Um, and two, that also helps attract people because mm -hmm. people don't want to work in outdated industries with crappy software and, you know, no tools to do their job better. And, you know, bad hours, bad benefits, bad working conditions. That's what's turning people away when they do know about it. We can't our yet promise non-crappy software, but we are getting there. <laughs> We're working on it, but then like, the, more, the more people we get in that have some ingenuity and that are willing to shake things up and say, you know what, we've been doing it this way for 30 years, but we can't do it that way anymore. That mm -hmm. changes things, right? So we need more agents of change so that we can attract more people. Um, and that's my take on it, just, you know, on a, on a broad level. Uh, Isha, what are your yeah. thoughts? You know... When I entered controls, that was exactly what was said to me. Um, all the, the dudes, and they're mostly dudes, okay? There's plenty of women, but there's mostly dudes. The dudes are retiring, and we're scared. But we're going to put money into you guys who know nothing. So, And that is the only way to combat this. It's been happening for a while, but it needs to continue. Where... And, and mixed with, are you going to replace all those people with the same demographic? Probably not. In fact, that's what you kind of need to look at is mostly, you know, men really liked that job and they were, you know, pushed into the job or, you know, promoted or whatever. And now other people that are not them can be promoted into those jobs. But they don't even know that they exist. And that's a huge thing is, did you know that as a woman or a person of color or whatever can have these jobs um, and they make you really good money, but you have to know that they exist and even believe that society thinks you should even be there. So if you're going to have some kind of stigma related to like being a woman or anything of minority of any kind, then you're going to, you know maybe shy away from that stuff, but it's ready for you now. Um, is there 
You know, is there things you may need to teach your employer? Sure. But it's ready for you to start trying to build something for yourself. Um, and if they, you know, they don't want you, you go to the next place. But there's a lot of really good jobs in manufacturing that are now open to everyone that it didn't used to necessarily be open to. And our job now, us, us four and, and any other people in our industry is just to welcome them tell them we want them here um, and then show them what it looks like and show them what the rewards look like. You know, like you said, we want to show them there's money here to raise their families, to take care of their families. Um, there's, there's a challenge here to like make your brain better. Um, and then there's just, you know, opportunity for glory. Some people just want glory. <laughs> and, and there is that opportunity too. You can be a hero. Do you want to be a hero? Because some of these situations require heroes. They don't require someone who like calculated everything and they knew nothing was wrong. Like some of you need to take risks and uh, we need those people here too. So there's really like really great jobs for everybody. And at this point we are um, tasked with uh, shoving that stuff all over social media because that's the one of the ways that young people see what's even happening in the world. And so if they could see this and they see us, you know, maybe battling it out and maybe we make, I saw a recent video that was like different kinds of engineers. And like one guy was just like saying Mwah! to like different objects. And it's like, okay, computer engineer. And he just like kissed the computer. He's like, Mwah! and then a um, uh, civil engineer. And he like kissed a brick. He's like, Mwah! and then it was like time for an electrical engineer. And he kissed wires. And then he turned into a skeleton. Cause he like electrocuted himself. It was super <laughs> funny, but like, that's the kind of stuff that like gets kids thinking. They're like, you know, what, which one of these heroes do I want to be? That's what we have to do is like, make it look like that. Or it's like, you know, which superhero do you want to be? Well, which kind of engineer do you want to be? We could, we could do this. We could make this something cool. And, but you're right. Like right now it's just suffering because nobody knows, nobody cares. And that's why we're all here trying to have this conversation because we do no, believe that, that we try to get these people in, but how do we get them here? And, um, we can do it. We can uh, show them the way, but we have to do that like for free <laughs> for a while. I'm certainly, you know, I was going to comment on that last point. Very surprised that, you know, we spend billions of dollars on marketing towards end consumers, right? When it comes to a manufacturing plant. But I feel that there's little effort, right? And at least in my conversations, True. it all comes down to there's IP at the factory floor, you know, this palletizer that's Stacking a box on a pallet is completely proprietary. You cannot show that to anyone. And I'm just like, guys, like, how else do you want people to find out about these jobs? Like, I, I, so I, you know, like, really briefly, I didn't know what a PLC was until, you know, I got my first job in automation. I've never seen a PLC in college. No one ever mentioned controls. It was not even, like, on the job list that I was applying for. I just randomly sent out resumes at that time. But point is... When I walked onto the floor and saw like the robotics, the servo drives, the controllers, like I remember giving my two week notice to my previous employer immediately, right? But that, <laughs> that place, <laughs> you know, they would tell me like no cameras, no pictures, you can't share anything, even though, again, I think everybody. Huh? We're the best kept right. secret, right? Like, why would you yeah. want to be a like, secret? Cool. Dude? I don't care. Yeah. Why would it, you care? But most people understand that, right? Like on the floor, everyone's like, why would you care? Like it, it's not a, again, like you're not going to be able to reveal anything unless you're 
sending out like prints like i understand if you send out like schematics or prints or like software and you're openly sharing what that is like sure there might be some liability there but i don't know i, I think they're doing themselves a disservice right because they're not sharing the environments they're not explaining like what the person is going to be working and so people just don't know i, I think it's literally just an awareness problem uh whereas like software companies if you look at any one of them, right? Like pick like Facebook, Twitter, there's open software coming out of them every single year, you know, where I think it's like the front end frameworks uh, on both Twitter, Facebook release them completely open. Anybody can use them. So obviously engineers are going to be using them in their projects, you know, during capstone, during the four years, college, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but in manufacturing, it's like, I would like to come see your facility. No. Can we see at least some pictures? No. What are you guys doing in there? Well, we're producing a good that you can... Fine on the shelf at Walmart, but it's a top look up, secret. Look up the uh, manual, and I'll show you what's there. Yes. Right. But anyways, that's. Uh, I think that will need to change for sure. But slowly, very slowly, I feel. Dave. I've seen that um, these companies, uh, these OEM companies, are getting huge on paying influencers. So that is, and that wasn't something that they were normally used to, and like more and more are getting more comfortable being like, let's pay some of these people to talk about this industry out there where people are listening. So, I mean, it's changing, but it's slow. Absolutely. I would say, I guess my perception from, from many conversations that I've had uh, is manufacturing in general is not an industry that anyone would consider going to work in. Right. So I know people, right. I know people, especially like younger people who I were talking to who are in their probably early 20s and maybe they went to college or maybe they did an internship and now they're either working at an end user somewhere or they're working for a systems integrator. And I know some of them whose like parents worked in these factories and they're like, yeah, I, I you know, dad always came back and he was tired and he smelled terrible because it was a paper factory or whatever. And wh why would I go to work there? Like, I only went to work there because it was an opportunity and they were going to give me a chance to do something. And I only committed to do it for like six months on this tiny project. And then I was going to go find something else. And then I got in and it was, it was a great opportunity. Um, so I think like the perception of manufacturing in general is, is the textile factories of like pre-industrial revolution three uh, of where yes. like people are losing arms. So mm -hmm. I, there are certainly not a lot of actual, uh, there's certainly not a lot of actual intellectual property that most people who couldn't just like go design the line to, to make the thing would be able to understand from, from some pictures, from some videos, uh, for, from any of those things. There are certainly people who could reverse engineer a line from a picture or just by understanding how things go together and just by understanding how things go together, like we could go build a box and put it in pallets, right? Like that, that is, that is a fairly simple thing. Like we could go design some conveyors and, and make a box and fill the box with something and, uh, but at that and point, go. What are you hiding? Well, n not much. Pricing. Not That's the difference between you and them is pricing. Like nothing. You're hiding nothing. Yeah, our Absolutely. industry traditionally Absolutely. has very much suffered from a lack of transparency. I think everyone feels like their competitive advantage is keeping things to themselves, whether it's their knowledge and how to program PLCs or the pricing of their solutions or how they architect things. Yep. And really what it means is that you're limiting your growth and your exposure to your 
word of mouth and who manages to knock on whose door or get in what relationship or meet whatever, like on the golf course, it is never anything that will then expand. And as this population of people that are passing this information to each other with the handshake is shrinking, the the opportunity for the entire industry is shrinking along with it. I see a lot Absolutely. of that. I see a lot of, uh, don't, don't share your success. People will just, you know, either use it against you or steal it. It's like, seriously, how, if I listen to any of this crap that's on here, I can't help anyone. Or like, people tell Ali, like, oh, don't help anyone. Don't, help don't anyone. encourage people to start their own businesses. They could lose their <laughs> livelihood. Like you're, you're going to be responsible. I was told that I could ruin people's lives if I encouraged them to start their own business. Well, let me tell you something. There were people who encouraged me to do this, what I did. And if I fail, it's not their fault. I took my risk with my business. So I don't like when people are trying to transfer that type of like liability because I'm saying this is possible and this is how I did it. And a lot of people can share that and it will never mean that everyone who tries it will make it. It will never mean that. Um, and I'm not uh, sad or like disappointed in myself because you didn't follow very, very general advice that I gave. <laughs> like, I didn't tell you how, you know? So it's just really depressing that you people are like trying to put that kind of pressure on the creators because, you know, you should try to do some of the stuff we do and especially try to create content and like share with each other and learn. Um, but, you know, you should definitely not try to blame anyone for your failure in business or in anything um, because we're all in the same boat there. Um, mostly, you know, maybe your, your dad or your grandpa is like a legacy billionaire, but outside of that, the rest of us are just, we're just trying. We're just doing trial and error and, you know, we have bad months. I have bad months. I have months where I'm waiting for my check and I'm like, I feel really nervous right now. Um, but I'm a new business. So, you know, am I going to sit here and be like, I always have such a huge buffer. I will, I'm going to be rich forever. I, I can't even begin to pretend that that's the, where I am, but I'm really proud of myself that I can uh, hold myself up without a W-2 job. So that to me is like, okay, can I grow myself into a better spot? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'll fail everyone, but you know what? I'm going to try and I'm enjoying this and I'm going to tell you what does work because I like sharing. And maybe one of you, you know, maybe I fail really bad and one of you gives me a job. Cool. But how does it, what does it say about our industry? Like each one of you think about it. If you met somebody random at a party, like, or whatever, it's your family friend or your neighbor down the street and they ask you what you do. Like, how much time do you need to explain what you do? And I I learned very early on that I used to say, oh, I, I sell robots and stuff. I honestly haven't touched a robot like ever. I'm, I don't sell robots. It's just like, I don't have an hour to explain to you what controls is and what factory automation is. So I'm going to pick the closest thing that a random person would know. And it's a robot which is like just funny coming from the industry, right? That, that that's what we say, but like, that's how little there is to know about what we do. Yeah, ah. my, nobody cares. 
cares? I tell people that I sell light bulbs because everyone knows what a light bulb is. <laughs> okay, yeah, uh, right. It, it, yes, it's so it, it's a, yeah. It's a long time joke with within my family. Um, so my, my dad is tangentially in, in the same industry, and so for a long time, my mom has like been trying to learn. And I, I've I've I have drawn her diagrams in the past to try to help her understand how we connect things. And so most of the time, she'll just like hold up the piece of paper that I've drawn the diagram on how we connect the the PLC to the HMI. Um, and so at some point, my, my dad worked at a company and they, they had a desk and they sold light bulbs and it just became easier to tell people that we just sell light bulbs because everyone knows what a light bulb is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I gave up trying to answer that question. I just <laughs> default to like I program computers and, you yeah. know, that yeah. control manufacturing processes. I had a I guess my first job, really interestingly, it was for Tampax. So people would ultimately assume again it's a very manual process, and I'm like, no, like I do the automation side with, uh, you know, and <laughs> individually I one at a time into the box. Right. Yes. So I, I like again, I just like service. right. So you know, but anyways, like I population appreciates what you do, Vlad. <laughs> yes. The, exactly. So those who knew what the product was really appreciate it. And they certainly appreciated the samples, right? Because we would get uh, a lot of product uh, to give away. But the point is, it was very difficult to explain what it, uh, what the control systems are. Because ultimately, there's very few videos, right? They're very secretive about the process. If you make toilet paper or any of the other like things that we have to have, we even mm-hmm. fight about it during the pandemic. I mean, there's so much basic you know, consumer goods that we need to have. And then we just like totally disregard once we think about the back end. Oh, well, the paper, who cares how that's made? Oh, you care. Like supply chain. Everybody finally knows what that word is now, but up until like (laughs) a couple of years ago, what it just shows up at the shelf, right? Like there's a truck or something Mm -hmm. like who, who has to think about that? Boring. Absolutely. I, I will make the, the, the comment to, to any OEMs out there. If you are interested to kind of pull back uh, at least some of what you're doing and show what, what the plant floor looks like and, and how things work, some combination of the four of us would like to come and yes. and do that tour and, and make, a, make a video of that tour or do a live show or some combination thereof. If you are willing to do that, I know that at best there might be one of you. Um, we'll, we'll go through the process and sign the NDAs and do the lawyer things. Yes. And six months from now, we, we can all show up and, <laughs> and figure out what uh, what that looks like. But it, it's we'll always a fun. A three-minute video it's, that it's shows all... the things that they're allowed to see. <laughs> but hey, yes. it'll be worth it. A- absolutely. We'll do it anyway. It is a- absolutely. It. Uses absolutely. Stuff. That's not, I mean, me looking at, you know, a couple controllers doesn't tell me what the controllers are doing. Even if I show you the HMI, it doesn't prove anything. <laughs> no. Never no, I, 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 might absolutely copy that not. my screen then. In our process, Me too. it has my logo. Oh, very nice. Yes, the the, the, the turbo incubator is, is that what I remember what you're calling them? Everything. And I today I was fighting because I was trying to put it on a panel view 800. Yeah, these are semen, um, which were way easier by the way. No, I'm just kidding, but um, I was trying to put it on a panel view 500 and I couldn't 800 and I couldn't firmware flash it, so I'm still working on that. And I'll but it's just the same struggle. 
we have the latest and greatest software. Don't tell anybody yeah. otherwise. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah. At some point in our lifetimes, uh, the software may work. Period. <laughs> Much less work work well. Um, well this yes. This is one of the things that the younger kids are getting really mad about because they are like all Python geniuses, and they want to make everything super fast, and then they're like, "It didn't flash." Well, yeah, and then like you can do everything with that you do with the PLC with a microcontroller and like a whole bunch of other stuff, mm -hmm. right? That's so much more accessible. It's so much more affordable. You can learn on your own. And then you, in our industry, we're like, no, it's, you know, it's, and there's a whole lot of reasons, right? Why, why, you know, in an industrial setting, maybe those things don't, you know, are not to be used for 20 years in a plant. Um, but I think that, you know, the, the attitude of just no it just turns people off. It turns young people off. You need to have a pathway to get from learning one to learning the other. Um, even my dad, who, you know, he's not a factory automation guy. He's, a, he's an IoT guy. He runs installations of data collecting stuff in oil fields. And he's had microcontrollers out in the field for 15 years. And they work in rugged, industrial, you know, and he builds everything like that I think of, I mean, granted it's small stuff and it's different, right? But he's got, you know, a motor controller. All of it is on a little PCB board that he puts in his own housing and, you know, he ships that out. And like, yeah, you could do that with the, with the PLC, but mm -hmm. it's going to take up a lot more space. It's going to need a whole cabinet. It's way more expensive. There are applications um, where you don't need to necessarily run something like a, a Siemens or an AD PLC. Uh, but I think, I think just the, the lack of sharing and innovation in the industry makes it as such that it it it's a much uh, more polarized conversation than I think it needs to be. I think we're millennials are the last generation to say, okay, I'll do it. Yeah, okay, you know, I'll they do, don't do it anymore. They're like, like, I don't want to do this. They're angry now. Before we're like, well, you know, I still want to eat and like, okay. And like we are that last generation, we're like, yeah, I really want to eat still. But those <laughs> yeah. kids after us, they've been eating. They're not afraid to be hungry, and they're they're ready to tell you no to your yeah. entire platform. And I'm kind of waiting to see what that looks like because they're going to inundate our field with whatever they have to offer, right? Because they're the the youngest group, and good luck to us making them happy because we can for the most part and it looks like that's what we're going to do piss them off yeah and if we want them to come work for us too like the old i, I was just at the a3 business forum um uh, a3 association last week and it's a lot of the people that are in charge right mostly older people that you know executives in this industry and we one of the uh presentations that we got that was really valuable is from an economist you know talking about uh all the economisty things about the economy. <laughs> I mean, I'm giving you a super good technical uh, yeah. rundown of that one. No, but one of the things that he said is that, you know, with the with the labor shortage, the way that it is, right? And the way that our economy is going to go. So yeah, soft recession, you know, starting this year, probably all next year, but we're not going to see a, a big recession or, um, you know, anything like that until like 2030 in terms of big, big, big impact. Um, 2030? God damn. Yeah. But that's when we're going to see some serious, that's maybe the place where we're going to, you know, not have, we're going to have enough people for our jobs. Uh, but up until then, we're, we're looking at this 
you know, whole labor shortage because of demographics and, and all kinds of other things. Um, but and a sentiment I hear from these executives sometimes is, oh, you know, when I was coming up, when I was in, you know, making my dues in the industry, I had to spend the time away from my kids and miss their baseball games and travel all the time. And, you know, that's just what you do. And that's just what you put up with. And these young people, they don't want to do it. They're so entitled and they're so lazy. And it's like, yeah, you can say that all day long. And these people are going to say no to your job job opening when you tell them that that's what they have to do. Because there are so many more options now. Yeah, if there's any our other industry. job for them, you yeah. lost them. If there's any other you job. If like, literally, why? That even pays the same or a little bit more, a little bit less. You lost them. You lost our them. industry doesn't even pay well for having to put up with that kind of thing. <laughs> Don't say that, Nikki. No, I mean, relative to other things, it does, yes. But if you're literally saying you're going to have a terrible job with a lot of jet lag, time away from your kids. You're going to be breaking your back, sitting on a bucket, programming a PLC over like six weeks at a client, you know, somewhere in the Midwest in the, in the cold. And that's just what you're going to have to put up with. Like, why would somebody do that? They would have to be crazy enough to be hooked on it already. It's not something that you sell with or that you lead with. And that's unfortunately like, I think HR too has a long way to catch up to realize that they need to make their jobs attractive not just think that the workforce out there is just going to be grateful to have a job. I mean, I talked to an, one of the automation, one of the big brands that we, you know, partner with that, that has a lot of sensors and things. They have 114 open job openings right now that they can't fill. And they're not even in the factories. They're in the sales, you know, in the, in the factory automation. I mean, they're, they're, they're not the, the dirty jobs. They're just straight up. Our industry is hurting for people. Mm -hmm. And they can't fill the jobs. Hey, on the plus side, if I can maybe counter some of those arguments, I see a lot more remote jobs posted, especially, you know, like on the higher end, like programming stuff, uh, like SCADA, MES. I think like they finally understood that they need to give remote access. You know, we've put in the right cybersecurity to some extent measures in place. Uh, there's a lot more of that than there was at least like two, three years ago. Right. So th- and I those think are gonna be the winners. those are going to be the ones that actually attract the talent. Mm-hmm. Not the ones that are posting the same job description from 10 years ago right. at a but pay man, that's not much better than it was 10 years ago. The insurance is nuts. <laughs> I, uh, I I would agree. I think that we need to do more to make the jobs attractive. And there is a very small subset of people who are willing or happy to travel 40 to 70% plus of the time. And that's why I think we burn so many people in this industry out in the first six months, right? So how many people? How, how, okay, yeah, well, Allie's like always on the airplane. Uh, but I, I think I think mo- like there are some people who, who love being the road warriors and are happy to be gone 70% of the time for what, for yeah, pro- mostly. Mostly, uh, they're probably mostly. I think they're running away from something else. <laughs> but um, th- there are some people who, who love to do it. But that's what, like, two percent of the population. It, it's not reasonable yeah. to expect people to to be willing to travel seventy percent of the time. Especially for you, these people are married, but they have to have special, like, I guess you know, they're not going to see their their loved ones that often, and they are okay mm-hmm. with that, but everybody understands that. And it is a very different life if you're willing to go yep. that separated. Most people don't want to do that. They have too much in their family invested because most people do value their family more than their job. And that's not a bad thing at all. 
No. Right. I've only lasted three years in that venture. 90% travel is, is pretty difficult. So. Yeah, Vlad, you, your travel was kind of insane. I, I've told I've told you that before in in less nice ways, but uh, I wouldn't do it. Um, yeah, I wouldn't do it at this point. And again, there are some people out there who who do it, who enjoy doing it, and I don't know how they keep their sanity or their family together or their laundry washed uh, for 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 all of those matters. But uh, but but if it works for them, good on them. But kind of going back to, to Nikki's point, I think we need to find more work-life balance. And if we are going to ask or demand to have people travel that much, we need to give them equal amounts of vacation or money or some combination thereof to, to make to, to make up for everything that they Those teams specifically uh, that are always traveling, they super benefit from real numbers in their team. If your team is two people, you are screwed. Like, and because that yep. one guy is going to be needed all the time. You can never do your vacation. You need yep. teams that are bigger. And it's hard to know, like, you, when you when you join a team, right, you don't ask them, like, how many more of there are me so that I can take my vacation? Maybe you should ask that because that is a really important thing that's going to affect your life. Um, I've been on teams where they did have enough people, but that's so freaking rare. Um, mm -hmm. So be careful where you go, because maybe what you're doing is applying for a job where you are the guy and nobody else can do it. It could be a girl too. You are the girl, but it doesn't matter. You're the person and no one can relieve you of your high end duties. And then you can't go on vacation ever. So does that, is that awesome? No, you don't want that like life. You want that life where you're like Bob and Steve and Karen can take over if I'm going on vacation and I'm going to pick my <laughs> favorite. I like Karen, you know, and, you know, I'm going to give Karen all my overtime. If you can have a situation like that where there's others that can do your job, you want that. And that's another reason why you want to teach people how you do you, how you do you. Yeah, because um, a lot there's a big like problem in this industry where everyone's like, I can't tell anyone anything because they will steal my job. <laughs> no, they won't. They need both of you to know how to do that. Okay. Yes. And it seems like it'd be nice if it was just you who knew how to do that, but it's actually a huge pain in the butt because mm -hmm. they're gonna call you 800 times because no one else knows how to do your job. So start teaching people. I know an OEM where the, the guy literally kept the bomb in his head. Like he knew <laughs> he didn't have an Excel sheet of a bill of materials for a machine. He's like, oh, it's all right here. And I'm like, dude, and you are how old? He was like probably in his 60s at least at this point. And I, I had to, I talked to the CEO and I was like, you know, I, not to tell you anything about how to run your business here, but do you realize that so-and-so like does not have the parts for the machine written down anywhere? <laughs> like you probably want to document that yeah. a little bit before something happens. Uh, yes. And, and I, I think that the secret that no one is saying to, to those people who feel like everyone is trying to steal their jobs is literally no one wants their job. Um, <laughs> li 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 like the, the job that we're trying to hire for is the person three levels below the person that, that you are that one day uh may want only when you think about it that much but, no, but because, that, like, that is there were people that thought i was going to take their job and it was like there's no way for me to do that <laughs> like 
even as smart as I am, like I can't take that from you. And I really, and I learned so much from them just screaming at me for everything I did wrong. You know, it was just like, this could have been different. And I hope that it will be different in the future, but we need to make these people feel better because we really aren't going to take away their jobs just like they think. It's not that simple. We wish it was like, and so do the managers. The managers are like, oh yeah. Um, you know, what's his name's on his way out. So uh, let's put two guys there. Like, they're going to fail. They're going to fail hard. Um, unless that one guy's going to show them what to do. So you need to beg that one guy, please, please. Uh, I don't know. Give him more money and whatever. Give him a bonus, but like make him teach those people because when he's gone, you're screwed. <laughs> I would honestly say, you know, if I can comment on that, it, it's almost the opposite, right? And I had this experience early on in my career where there was this guy they would fly out, uh, I'll say his name, Dennis, who would, you know, come in and Ooh. fix all machinery, like the, the toughest of the toughest problems. And w from what I was told, right, because I was still like six months in, I was just learning. They would tell me like, he would never tell you anything. You have to like really build a relationship with him to even get any information out of him. Long story short, obviously, you know, he refused to teach me anything at that time. And I remember like my only effort, just like, you know, we talked about the switches having names of like, don't hack me or anything like that. <laughs> my only effort was put into, I'm going to learn this system better than him so that we could get rid of him. Right? Like that was like my only Ooh. purpose. I, because you know what I mean? Like it's frustrating to not know what's going into like programming these systems and I just want to understand. So I'm like, okay, well, like, you know, this stuff, I understand it, but I'm fine leaving it to you because obviously like you spent a lot of time and effort, but if I have no idea what's going on and I'm trying to, you know, like support the system and again, like I can go in like many, many parallels, right. But even like OEM, sometimes they think that I'm going to reverse engineer and this factory that produces meat products is now going to start producing like slicers on the side. I'm like, guys, like, I have zero ah. like intention to like start like a new like I I literally just want to support this machine and it frustrates me more than anything else that I am not I'm like locked out just for that purpose of being locked out right like it's mm -hmm. it's anyways but that's yeah. not to go on like a huge rant about our industry I think that um, it certainly can be changed I think there's a lot more like open platforms in general and I think like OEMs understand that again slowly but surely better. Uh, but I think it will take time before it changes. And same with the mentality, right? Like we talked uh, about people retiring and kind of going away from these jobs. I think the younger mentality is a lot more around like collaboration and sort of like being open in what they do. And they understand that like if, I, if I'm an engineer that can automate myself out of the job, then I essentially get promoted to lead many engineers. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's kind of the way I see it. It's never like, oh, if I automate, like they're like, like oh, well, Vlad, like... Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks, you know? Vlad. Like this, we're gonna lay you off now. <laughs> right, right. Because if I can do be that, careful because in sales, it's not how that works. If you're too <coughs> good at sales, normally you get like, you get like re. What is it called? Um, they make new quotas for you. They're like, oh yeah. well, you're a little bit too good. So you're making too much money. You now we're gonna everybody. cut back. You're like, nah. yep. We're gonna recomp you, and then. Guess what? Of course that person is going to move on. Like, what the heck is that? Can we not see how we were all really successful together last year? Um, that was actually one of my complaints about being a quota-carrying salesperson. It really encourages short-term thinking. Mm -hmm. um, and and because I've never been driven by that, it 
it was different for me from than a lot of my colleagues. But like, I still get phone calls from people that I didn't sell anything to 10 years ago <laughs> because they appreciated that versus me just pushing to sell something that wasn't the right fit at the right time or whatever. And, you know, we got to think long-term. You don't want that, like, opportunist uh, stigma. No. Nikki just wants to make a dime. Nobody and that's what you that, get. You when you get somebody that. that's really good that, like, overshoots their goal and then you punish them for it that's by making them. messed up. Yeah, like, it, it just is, is the reverse. And I see this as well with people thinking, like, with DEI efforts, and I, I use this term, like, not as a program, but just in general, like, trying to make yourself more attractive for instance, to women or minorities, right? Representation. It isn't just about attracting women and minorities anymore. Younger boys, people of any kind, if they look, they look at a company and say, this place is old school and it's not diverse and it's not welcome to all kinds of people, then I don't want to be there either, even if they're the demographic that is represented. Because our younger mm -hmm. people think so differently about the world than we do. They They've been that. connected from day one. They realize that we're all the same, right? They have friends from all over the world, from all walks they of life. They have the internet. They can meet in a Discord <laughs> of a game that they like, and it has nothing to do with what they look like or where they're from. And so this whole idea of, like, us segmenting ourselves and, you know, saying, oh, you know, we don't, whatever, we're going to pander to women, or, like, that whole attitude of, like, we don't need to do that, it turns off more people than you think, I think, not embracing the change. And people I, I would want, agree with people this. see it. They know what you're doing. That's yeah. the other thing is if you think you're hiding that generalness, you're not. So be careful what you're doing. I, I think all of these are, are really good. I think all of these are really good points. We, we do have to take a moment out of this to uh, thank our sponsors. And this episode is brought to you by Profit by Design, which, which is us, Vlad and I. Profit by Design is designed to answer the questions, how can I run more efficiently? How can we become more profitable? And how can I retain my good employees? It's a three-day process in which we walk with your we work with your employees to understand the expensive problems that happen on the floor and create solutions that are net profitable in the first 12 months. Typical results are 20 to 100x return on investment, and we've got a stack of case studies from prior projects in our careers that are net a million dollars of profit or more. If you're looking to run more profitably and figure out how to retain your employees, check us out at profitbydesign.io. That's profit, the letter X, design.io, or drop Dave me a message. Um, and now with that, uh, I actually want to go get to a question that was back like many, many uh, minutes of conversation ago, but uh, the conversation has been so good, uh, I haven't been able to get it to. Uh, so Christy is in the comments. She wants to know what type of PLCs do you have on the board behind you, Allie? And, <laughs> and, 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 and as Allie's going through that, I want to play the most favorite game that I play with Vlad. So as Allie points to what she has, I want Vlad to also point the same thing on on his board. I do it at oh. least once a quarter, in which I in which I just just ad hoc demand Vlad points at things, and so I'm very happy that we can do this. If anyone is listening to this in podcast format, I would absolutely suggest you guys come check the video, uh, especially at the beginning, just to see Vlad's face of of complete distress um, as we're going into that. But no, uh, with that, Ellie, I'm gonna I'm gonna be quiet and let you. Uh, Let's you tell us uh, what you have behind you. Okay, well, so I'm looking at Vlad's and like my Control Logics chassis isn't behind here, so we're not going to do that one. 
It's actually in front of me. But um, I was trying to figure out how I was going to mount that thing. And it's so heavy that, like, I can't really put it anywhere that is good. So, um, but what I do have behind me is um, I got this one. So, and it's an 850. <laughs> but it's a, one of the 850s that has, like, a lot more I.O. Like, yep. a lot. We're talking 20 outputs and 28 inputs. One of the big ones. Oh, I think so I have the, the smaller version, like the, the 830, if I'm not mistaken. I, yeah, it looks like but, you have that one. Yep. Okay. Um, and then I have a safety version of the S7 1200 Siemens. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. got the yellow. So the yellow is how <laughs> yeah, you yeah, can yeah. tell that that's the yep. safety one. Um, and then I have a regular S7 1200. Mm -hmm. Do I have a regular one? Do so you have a safety one? Weird. <laughs> so that's actually the first one that I ever bought in a... Um, What's it called? Starter kit. My first mm -hmm. starter kit ever was that one. And it was so cheap. I was like, this is insane. Because I could get yep. the PLC, the HMI, and the licensing for $600. And I was like, that's nice. gnarly. Um, yeah. Yep. So then um, this is the HMI that actually did come with that. It's like a four inch that comes with this. And then I got crazy and I wanted an analog card. So I wanted analog in and out. So I bought yeah. some extra cartridge here for myself. Um, and then this is a, um, not the newest one. What is like the version right before the newest comfort? This is a comfort HMI panel. That's a, a seven, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Seven inch comfort okay. panel. Yeah. And then below that is a S7 1500. These, most of this is Siemens stuff, except when you get to like the light gray, but the blue mm -hmm. stuff is Siemens, um, that I really like. I don't have any power flexes, um, or remote IO like he has, except I do have, I guess remote IO in a control logics chassis, but you can't see mm -hmm. it. And then I yeah. have um the only VFD I have is a um WEG, Brazilian. Um and it uh I just have like the analog IO card like snapped on top of it, so it doesn't have um communications yet. But gotcha. it's just like a it's tiny okay. uh for a half horsepower motor that I have. Interesting. Um and then I do have down here, it's hard to see, but I have um IO link by Balif, um, the slate or the master. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I got some, my favorite terminal blocks, which is the, the push-in type from, uh, Phoenix content. Phoenix. Nice. And, uh, yeah. So I have a couple PLCs. I got four PLCs up here and two HMIs. And I was trying to get the panel view 800 working today, but I couldn't flash it. So I'm still working on that. <laughs> That's what I have. Yeah, maybe we'll need to set you up with some uh, PLC Next. I think from Phoenix Contact, uh, those are interesting PLCs. So, I like all. Vlad, do you want to update everyone on how many PLC Next are currently by your feet? Well, I have a total of three, but that's because, what? like, I was. Hey, there's some interesting Modbus communications that you can do between them, but. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, there. So, so hold on, Vlad. I, 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 I want to go. I want to go uh, pimp the, the Solus PLC. Uh, everyone, check out SolusPLC.com. Vlad and Phoenix Contact built a PLC Next course last year. So, so Vlad just doesn't have a bunch of PLC Next floating around. J fun, uh, mostly for fun, but also some of it is work. Yes, that is correct. Thank you, Dave. Is I that, appreciate what it. is what is that up by like the Stratix switch in the top? 
Right. So you uh, that's the that's the Opto twenty two. So it's their like Groove Epic and Groove Rio controllers. They look like Delta V. I was like, but that's small. Okay. They uh, I like the form factor, right? So they're, they're very small. They're also really cool because it has a full configuration screen on the front and you can create like a mini HMI uh, from that, that PLC. Nice. So mm -hmm. it's... The closest I know of that is like Siemens being able to like put a picture on here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Regular yeah, I, I think it's metal. it's really cool. My it, my favorite part about them... I was going to say my, some of my favorite part about the Opto 22 stuff is you can get universal IO, which is my favorite type of IO. And I wish everyone would go to universal IO because it would just save all of us a bunch of uh, a bunch of struggles because you never have enough of whatever you're currently working on and you never spec out the PLC with enough extra capacity or cards. So you're always one short and then no one ever has it. And then. The end user is always very upset that it's an extra like twelve thousand dollars of cards at the very end because we were so close but didn't have enough to do this upgrade. And maybe those who are not familiar with Universal I/O who are listening to us right now, it's essentially configurable inputs and outputs. So you have one channel mm -hmm. that can be set as an input and output. It could be voltage. It could be current. Uh, digital analog. So there's a lot of variations. But you there's... don't have to buy the same OEM as your controller. Right. That's what the open part is, where you may have Allen Bradley all kinds of control, but you buy non-Allen Bradley. That's what the open part is. Because mm -hmm. normally without that open part, you have to buy the same of every everything. You have to buy IO and everything by one vendor. And now right. we're opening it up, which we all love that. Um, and we're getting more and more open, but OpenIO has been a thing that existed where you could buy Wago or Phoenix Contact or all these different, you know, vendors that don't necessarily make control. Now they do, but before they weren't making controllers and they were just making IO that was compatible with existing PLCs. So it's really cool that now that's exploding, but also that that's still really like accessible technology, especially when you're screwed on supply chain problems which is everyone's problem now yeah not only is it expensive to add io after the fact if you didn't and the other thing is like why would you want to be stuck with your initial design when you know that you can improve your systems over time and add things and you add to a line like adding io seems like one of those things that you would never want to be hardwired stuck with the previous design but not only can you, you know, like not afford the extra IO, but you can't get it even if you could pay for it. Or you don't have space, which is a different issue. But yeah, you can make it. it all work. I'll tell you why, because we've a always done it box. that way. Right. <laughs> Ew, no one likes that. Vlad's oh, favorite thing. Well, everybody's favorite buzzword in our in like industry 4.0. I apologize, I forget who posted this, but he posted, he was like, you shouldn't be talking about industry 4.0 if you don't know what this is. And it was wire, like ducting wireway in a panel because you can't get any data anywhere if you don't have, you know, controls and panels and those sorts of things. But that's those are the basic building blocks of what we do. And they're just not cool anymore or they would never work. Right. But they should be. They can. Be. I'm not sure they are. <laughs> I was looking I was looking at stuff yesterday. Do you have in your mind a, like, let's say you knew how 
the, the amount of space that you were going to take up with like all your drives and your PLC, what is your gut guess as to the vault, like the area of your back panel that is wire weight? That is, you mean like wire trays? Like, yeah, like the wire, the wire weighs like panduit. How much panduit's going to take up your area? Like how much area do you lose traditionally when you do some area? Like, is there a percentage that you like to go to? Because I've been trying to create that number for me just to mm -hmm. get like easy, you know, numbers. And I came up with like, take your HMI, no, so take your PLC, you know, whatever the cards are going to be. And then take your, your uh, if you have VFDs or starters or whatever is going to take up space there. And then I said something like double that almost to come up with space for everything else and to like space that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and at first I was like, you know, it's probably 20% of the total backplane, but it is a non, you can't ignore that volume because you need it. So you really want to go a little bit bigger. So I guess, do you have any numbers you like to use or rule of thumbs or any kind of backup information that you would use in that case. So look, so why are trays behind you? So yeah, that was, I actually made a comment on a post that I, I wish I had installed it. And now I'm like, kind of like regretting not having it. So I guess like for this, I should probably have installed it, but in a typical uh, automation panel, I think like 30% to 40 is what I would like to see. Uh, I'm also, you know, like I'm, how to say it, like maybe a bit different in that way where I like to spec a lot more than what I'm going to use just because I've been in many situations where I would be asked like, hey, can we add this? Can we add that? We didn't account for like a bunch of devices here and there. And so I always like to over design panels to like accommodate even more. People would tell me like 20% like extra, let's say like on the IO, I would literally double the rack because... The rack is so cheap compared to us having to add like another panel and those extra cards, uh, you know, they're like 300 to 500 dollars even from the most expensive vendors. And if they are left as like sl empty slots, I don't care at all because I can always put them in. But once the rack is of a certain size and it just fits that small panel, it becomes very difficult to add anything yeah. else. So, but and again, look, it depends on what industry you're in. I know. I've been in food and bev a lot, so the space constraint hasn't been there, and we can always spend a little bit extra to have those cards just sitting there. Uh, but I know if there's in price constraint, panels. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's a whole other issues, right? Like like electronics don't like being hosed down, and um, you know moisture <laughs> is a factor. And I've, I but see that's the point. Like I've also seen so many failures that I like to have, like let's say the extra cards, so that whoever's on maintenance can just like swap out the one. That is working, right? So anyways, like my philosophy has always been to like upsize almost to the extreme. You know, I would take the biggest rack because I know even the price difference between like a four slot chassis to like a 13 slot chassis, it's not, you know, it's not X per, per slot. It's just like an, a little extra to get the larger one. So I, again, but that's just me. Uh, so take it for what it is. And that's, that's been the standard for me in food and Bev, but elsewhere it might be different. Yep. Thank you. Dave, what are your thoughts? Electrical panels. I 
I have very few thoughts on electrical panels, Vlad, other than I generally don't like to go in them, and it is my goal not to get electrocuted um, on, on site. So so my, my, my Dave's rule for almost my entire career is, is I generally don't do electrical work on site. Um, I, I'm happy to go pay other people to go do electrical work on site. Um, I, I have worked with a couple of groups that have built panels, um, and, and I, I let the experts deal with that, right? There are some things that I'm very good at. Um, I will go spec out PLCs and things like that. Uh, when it gets to electrical panels, I am more than happy to let the professionals um, who do it more than once a year or consider it more than twice a year uh, go go ahead and get in on it. I, I would imagine that there are a bunch of softwares. I know that there are softwares now that uh, you can go design it much nicer th than originally when I started. So I, I guess I, I worked for a, a distributor manufacturer's rep that was originally created in like think the early 50s and for a large majority of that time they had a panel shop that was part of it and then got sold off and and was in the basement of that facility for, for virtually the entire time so one time as we were going to move buildings i i, wa I walked into this strange room in the basement and i just kind of opened a drawer and there was just a stack like eight inches deep of hand-drawn electrical panel drawing and i'm like wow um i, I would not yeah I would not have considered this, and I'm sure Allie will, will absolutely hate this. So uh, the, the guy who ran it, his name is Mike, really good guy, loves talking to people, loves talking to people so much that, as I've been told, when he worked there in the basement, he would go upstairs to the kitchen to get a cup of coffee. But instead of putting the coffee into his cup, he had to preheat it with hot water so that by the time he made it back down to the basement, he still had warm coffee in his cup because he just spent that long talking to uh, talking to uh, to everyone. And apparently th they did basically production builds for for a large uh, HVAC uh, company. And they would do the same production build, I don't know, somewhere between 50 and 100 times a year. But every single time one of those production builds came in, Mike would go lick his fingers, pull out a brand new piece of paper, he designed the panel from scratch every time. <laughs> so, uh, so, so if anyone has ever, if, if anyone has ever been into multiple uh, HVAC panels, um, that you're like, oh, this should be exactly the same, and they're not, and they're, I don't know, more than 20 years old, you can thank Mike, because... Same components, he just kind of tweaked it a little bit every time. Could not consider running production. Mike, a very good engineer, not a very good production, uh, not a very good production line manager. Uh, we're getting ready to, uh, to run close on time. Vlad, uh, do you have any other questions, any other topics that uh, that we should bring up before we uh, we go and close off uh, what, what has been a very, very fun conversation so far? I do want to bring up another topic based on what we've just discussed. So health, safety, and environment in manufacturing, right? So again, working in electrical panels, uh, I want to say could be extremely dangerous. Are you seeing any trends, you know, with all the new labor that we're bringing into the market? Are those best practices improving? Are they still the same? Are we training, you know, the new people, um, again, that we're recruiting who are younger on the best practices? Are, are you seeing an improvement from a, a safety standpoint uh, when it comes to manufacturing? Um, I can take a stab at that. Um, so not, yes, for um, for trades people, no, for engineers. That's where the, la that's where it's still messed up, I think. Because we, we know from like, that's the way that we do our standards that we're gonna teach the trade people specific 
you know, especially like, uh, what is it, NFPA 70E is like arc flash. So we teach electricians that. We keep failing to teach engineers that. And they are messing inside of those things. So inside of the panels, are they bringing brand new breaker, you know, power to the panels? No, 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 no. But Hopefully after not. those people who do understand that, bring power to the panel. We are letting engineers touch that without making sure that they know all the various ways to die. And so that to me is not growing fast enough. So we need to like kind of say, never mind who you are and make everyone take that stuff. Um, because even if like, I don't know, some of this stuff is simple enough where non-electrical trades could at least sit through it and hear it and I don't think that's even going to hurt any companies where they do like move around control panels or maybe you're in HR and you just work with a bunch of people who could electrocute themselves. Would it be so bad if you learned, you know, some NFPA 70E because then you can scare those people and you're like, oh my God, you can die all these ways. And, you know, it's just more, so more, um, uh, more notice to everybody, not just the people who are going to maybe risk their lives, but I myself, I was never taught um, anything about arc flash before I was inside of a lot of control panels with 480 volts. Um, and at one point I touched, almost touched, I believe I touched it, but it was more like when it arced, the arc kind of put air on me and I thought it touched me, but basically like I shouldn't have even dealt with something like that, but you know, the contractors had already put power to it and it was my responsibility and I forgot that I turned that on. So I went to go change out like uh, an overload, you know, one of those breakers for a motor. And I, I undid it because I had a nice screwdriver that was insulated. And then I went, put my hand in there to pull on the leads that were live, that I didn't remember were live. And that was, you know, one of my closest encounters with death, but also just, I was alone. So if something had happened to me, I'd be down there for hours before anyone was like, oh, I think Allie died. You know, like that's, it was so messed up and it was my fault, but at the same time, how do we prevent this? And it's, you scare the people, but you teach them um, all of the real rules. Cause I mean, I didn't even have a set of rules. I just had like, well, make sure it's off. You know, just my own like, it wasn't, it wasn't a ground set of rules that like everyone was following and that's what it should be. And that's what it, we have available. So to me, that's my big like takeaway is like, are we teaching everybody? I think we're teaching a lot of people, but we're not teaching everyone. And we are forgetting that engineers can kill themselves. <laughs> what are we, we're, we're so worried about like the, the trades people because we're like, oh, we can't let them hurt themselves. Like, well, you better be careful because you think those smart kids know stuff and they can, they can hurt themselves too. So um, I think the idea is educating the people that are supposed Everyone. to be working on it. Right. That's what yeah. we do. But the reality is a lot of people that aren't supposed to be working on things do. And if they have no clue of the dangers then they're not going to do so responsibly. And, and then this again goes to transparency, right. And just sharing of information. Why would it be so bad to educate everyone that walks into a plant about how to be safe there. Like as a sales engineer, I walked into a lot of plants. Amen. All I was told was don't wire anything because we don't have the insurance for that. I wasn't told don't wire things because you could hurt yourself or others. And this is how 
you know, that happens. And, you know, yeah, mostly I was dealing with 24 volt power supplies and stuff like that. I would, I would, I didn't wire customers things, but I wired my own things and my little demo kit. But Some like, girl I told me once that she touched, she was like, oh, it looked loose. And I tried to tighten this on a transformer and she shocked herself. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, and that right. was on a job. She was oh a mechanical God. engineer. She shouldn't have been touching any of that shit, but you, we don't know this stuff. So these young people are doing things out there that like they could end up dying from, and we're just getting lucky and hoping well, I hope she learned her lesson. Like, are we teaching everybody or not? And I because good like, no. employees will do things that aren't in their job description. If they see yes. something that needs to be done, and they, they will done, step up right? and help as they should, as a yeah. good like, you know, we workplace of people that are motivated for the mission rather than just what they get paid for. They should be stepping out of their way to do things that maybe that are a little out of their job description. But that's exactly why we got to train everybody. Same thing with cybersecurity. You don't have to be the cybersecurity officer at a company. You should know basic things about cybersecurity and how you as an employee, no matter what you do, how you fit into that. Everybody needs a basic knowledge of that stuff. Yeah, I'm curious to see, again, like what's going to happen in the industry. I I think until we have maybe major incidents, it's, you know, it's one of those like cost centers, kind of like fallacies where until everything, until something happens, we don't want to put money into it. I've had some conversations around it because, again, a lot of like younger people are stepping into these roles, and I think they're they're not taught in school about electrical safety, right, at all. Oh. I've I've never had any mention of that personally, and so it's difficult, right? It's how to say it, like in the best case, you have a really good mentor that kind of explains to you what it is, right? But outside of that, it becomes really up to you and i think it's unfortunate because you're only going to learn from mistakes and i remember you know when i was interviewing and mostly like tax and entry-level engineers and my biggest concern was you know i understand they have the knowledge i'm like i can teach you on the technical side but i'm very scared if i let you loose you know after some period of training you're just gonna go like open panels so like my first questions were around like do you understand Kind of the danger you're in when you're opening some of these 480 volt panels because until until then i think they do a lot of like hobbyist electronics right like they play with like arduinos raspberry pis and all kinds of things like that maybe like robotics if uh, if they did that but um industrial safety i think is a how to say it, like a, a not nearly enough discussed topic i think mm-hmm. but yeah absolutely. we're being weird so just hopefully Hopefully on a slightly lighter note that doesn't include any more stories about how any of us almost died. Allie, you're, you're, you're rocking the safe test. I feel like Vlad has set me for this and I would be negligent and my co-hosting duties if I didn't ask you to tell us how, how, how are you trying to make safety vests cool? Uh, <laughs> I would say again, but I'm not sure they were ever cool. But, but, but tell us how you're trying to make safety vests. Um, well, I have you know a different color for every day of the week and i just think that um especially for women um they want like they want to accessorize their damn outfits okay and this is just one of the ways we can do that and we can mix like different plaids with different like color of vest safety vests there's just ways that we can kind of just like what is it like personalize our style our brand whatever um and it doesn't have to be two colors and 
you know, Carhartt Brown. It doesn't have to be. And so um, I think that's, imp that's important to me because I think that like other women care about that. Um, and they want to know, you know, how am I going to keep this cool? Um, and maybe some of them don't think that like that at all, but I care about that. When I design control panels, the colors of stuff is huge to me. That's part of why I really love Siemens because it has dark blue hardware. And then I can pick tables that look really good with that hardware, like teal or purple, like looks, I don't know. Th that stuff matters to me. Does it matter functionality wise? No, but there's a lot of things in the world that are functionally, you know, perfect and then also beautiful. So what is, you know, I'm not going to fight the fact that I sometimes can make things look really nice because it's just, it's just part of like the, uh, the pride in your work, but also can you get other people to be like, that's really cool or really pretty. Like I've made blue control panels where the outside is like sky blue and that just looks dope. Like there's things we can do to kind of like hype up the excitement by other people. So yes, like I've, I've, I've done it where like I'll make something really pretty and they're like, they're just going to, no one's ever going to see that. And I'm like, but I saw it. That's how I feel about I dashboards. I used to build like Tableau dashboards for a while for things. And I just, mm -hmm. I, I really enjoy when they are pretty, when they have a good color scheme that matches like a nice font, something that makes sense. It's a little on brand for whoever the customer is for the dashboard. And like, it needs to make sense visually, of course, like functionally, what's the high level information and then drilling down, but then also like mixing the types of visualizations you have to make it visually interesting. Those are things that also like you can, yeah, that, that I, Other oh, people that's a big point of like being don't. into your work enough to care what it looks like too. Um, and unfortunately for women in, in okay. this sort of industry, like we generally have not had a lot of work gear to choose from that's made for us or that even fits us properly. Um, I mean, I had a hard time. I mean, shoot, it's even hard to find women's suits for interviewing. Uh, they're just, they think that like, Hey, all we want is like fast fashion or high heel shoes. And it's like, no, I want stuff that like, I don't buy high heel shoes. I don't wear makeup, but like, that doesn't mean I don't enjoy certain aspects of picking or coordinating or like, I just happen to care more about it when it comes to the look of my dashboards or whatever. But yeah, I enjoy wearing like a purple high vis or, you know, I just recently kind of got into these hats and stuff and like, now I realize I have a preference for the type of hat and like the type of, you know, whether it's curved or this or that. And like, That's if you want people to be into what they're doing, then give them a way to like jazz it for themselves, you know? Personalize it. I love this. Karim, uh, the third uh, the third person on this show, uh, this will be his most favorite segment ever because he, he also is very particular upon how, uh, how visuals are made and he may or may not think that Vlad and I make the worst visuals in the world. Uh, so so I, I will throw that comment out there for Karim. If you've made it this far, uh, th this is for you. Um, slight follow up on that. So our different branded safety vests is that, should that be the giveaway swag of the trade show year? Sh should, should we go pick a dozen different colors and, and everyone can go get some different uh, safety vest uh, swag at trade shows this year? That would be so wonderful. I think everyone would love it. Um, I just want to point out that, like, even to get the guys excited, you can get 
all black and then just white and like the gray or uh safety green because like my company colors are like lime green and like dark blue i have both of those um including a black one i have pink and purple because i like the girl stuff but there's actually a lot of options that you had no idea and then there's like um this is like a different material see how you can see like holes in it kind of looks like mm -hmm. oh yeah it's breathable huh yeah this is breathable yeah. but my other ones are not so th there's so many options oh and make sure you look at how many pockets because like you want to have like a fancy stuff with like a lot of pockets like you could come in on the side and on the top <laughs> and then you want like different size pockets so the more in the pockets, vest in the vest i have so many pockets in some of these like the green one has like so many pockets eight ten pockets or some something insane um so you want that because you got to have your phone that and is... like your walkie talkie and like all this other crap on you so it's a big deal and um you can have it any color you want, any material you want, and uh, and be safe, and no one will run you over. Yeah, I'm down with the safety vest. We should do, no. we'll do a, a purple automation lady safety vest that yes, we'll give away at one of the shows that we're going to be at. But good idea, Dave. I will I will go back at I... one of my early days at Keyance. I remember me and the other sales girl, Annie, that was on in my office. We had this conversation. We were like, why does nobody make functional work clothes for women with pockets and all the pockets we get they're half size and they don't fit anything like why not real they, pockets or they're like oh there looks like there's a pocket there but you can't actually put anything in it it's so insulting too when you buy the thing thinking that it's just we stitched clothes, but then it's not even real we we actually were like one of us if we ever get to there we should start a clothing company that has real pockets for women like just Basic functional stuff. Cargo like, pants are not a woman thing. Like we're trying to turn it into one, but like you guys have all the pockets, and we're just trying to figure out where to put everything. Well, we're supposed to put everything in our purse, apparently. <laughs> but then, okay, check this. My so son, I, I, is, I, I, my son is two and a half, and he loves using one of my purses. Like we had to get him a, a, a like a bag uh, at Target the other day because he keeps walking around yeah. with the purse. Because like his Aww. sister has the purse, why doesn't he have one? <laughs> And, like, I have uh, no good reason to tell him, like, no, you're a boy. You can't have a purse. Like, that's a backpack. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I will say in defense of pockets, uh, most women's clothing that, that I've heard Beth complain about don't have pockets regardless of professional or non-professional. Non oh, no, yeah, that's There's, totally there's just true. an utter lack of pockets. Utter uh, lack of pockets uh, for women. <laughs> utter lack of pockets. So I, I will throw out uh, manufacturing happy hour. I don't remember which episode it was, but Chris Lukey interviewed a person. Uh, it was a women's workwear. Uh, we, I will have to go find the episode and we'll go throw it in the show notes. But it was it was a lady whose name, again, I don't remember because I was not prepared for this part of the conversation uh, in which she started. I don't remember if it was just shoes or all types of women's workwear to, to basically solve the issue that, that we were talking about now of there being a lot of non-functional and non-existent uh, female. Yeah. I know uh, you may be referring Zena to Xena workwear. workwear. Yeah, that's go. the one yes. that I've seen. And it reminds me of like Xena Warrior Princess, right? That's how it's spelled yes. with an X. There's at least two more companies. There's one company out of Canada that makes gloves sized okay. for women's hands, um, like work gloves and Tiny some other things. Hands. And then I saw some other company started by like basically a girl just recently out of college, like mm -hmm. younger. Um, and I think it's pants with proper pockets and stuff. I don't remember the name okay. of that one either. 
But like we're we're, get, we're getting some options. <laughs> Finally. That 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 would be a very good name for the business if it's not already named Proper Pockets. Uh, Proper Pockets would both be very Canadian as well as uh, pocket equality. <laughs> I uh, I love that. So I, I will just uh, slightly moving us out of safety vest conversation. Say I'm a big fan of the 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 jackets and uh, hoodies and other uh, zip up. Uh, sweaters that you can have especially mostly in food and bath facilities in the cold rooms that i see uh i i go to those places and i'm like man some people just have like the best jackets uh i also see truckers oh Allie's gonna be very warm by the time we're done with this she's just got all of her uh, all of her work gear on uh but no this has been amazing i've got a couple of a couple of closing questions uh for for both of you Uh, i want to talk about career advice it's one of our favorite segments in which we ask for career advice so i'd love some career advice uh how about starting with with nikki either for people looking to get into the industry in general or perhaps uh women or other folks looking to uh, to get into industry what is your best what is your best piece of advice oh uh to get into the industry, I guess if you're not, if you don't have like an engineering degree or something that's a that's a real path to um, like a starter job that's easy, um, I'd say if you have a college degree, the sales engineering, if you're a per- people person, is a great place to start. Um, and just, you know, don't take it as only sales. And if that company is only focusing on that, like there's plenty of them that can teach you the ropes in terms of actual uh, applications and and there's so much that can be done around there and a lot of engineers that are personable get into sales engineering but the thing is you don't have to have that background right as long as you're technically minded you can solve problems you're a quick learner um, there are so many great people out there uh, in the industry that can teach you if you show some humility <laughs> and value what they teach you so applications engineers taught me so much over my career and it usually there's this kind of friction between the engineering and sales um oftentimes they don't want to teach you because they think you don't respect what they know or that you just go out and sell a bunch of stuff that then they have to put together right (laughs) value your apps engineers if you're in sales realize what it is that makes them feel valuable and you know add value to them and they will add value to you i promise it'll just take maybe take some time for them to like warm up to you and get on your side Um, the other thing is, is it can take some time to get comfortable in a position or in a company, especially if you are one of the younger hires or one of the few diverse people, you're going to run into issues. Um, find a support system, maybe outside your company that can help you get through those times because it takes a level of maturity and experience to understand and, and navigate your way around those things, but don't let that scare you away. Because once you get through that and you realize how to deal with it and you realize that you can leave toxic companies behind and there's plenty of good ones, right? You can find your way in this industry if you enjoy the part of what you're doing. You know, if you enjoy the the work itself, but maybe not your work environment, A, you can get through it and B, you can also, you know, move on. Um, the other thing is, this is more general career advice, but be open about what you're interested in and learning. If it's above your pay grade or your current education, Like be vocal about what you're learning and the people that can teach you will find you, whether it's on social media or within your company or at a trade show, 
there's always somebody that knows less than you. And then there's always somebody that's looking for that next person that shows leadership ability or uh, an ability to learn. And trust me, there's tons of people out there that sit there and do their job and have no interest in learning anything else. And if you have a mm -hmm. hunger to learn, show it to the people around you and somebody will find you and say, oh, you want to learn that? I can teach you that. And that's oftentimes informal. It's not going to happen through you sending out your resume or somebody offering to do it for you. You put yourself out there and those people will find you. That That is amazing. Uh, Ali, same question to you. What What sort of career advice do you have for us? Um, I want to reiterate like the strong point that Nikki's making in that you can be the most badass learner. And, you know, I consider myself that a badass learner, right? Like a self learner or whatever. Um, and man, you can still be the best at that. And you'll never be able to like manifest some of this knowledge that people mm -hmm. ahead of you have. Um, so, and some of those people, they weren't, they're going to be mean to you because they don't, they kind of want you to prove it, that you're even worthy at all to even receive any of this. But like, you want that. And I know that, you know, a lot of people do have to like stand on their own and like, you know, people don't want to tell them anything. And like, some people are just, they have different I guess ways that they approach people and they're not the most personal people. And so people get like intimidated or stuck or they're just like, I'm never going to ask that person. Like I'm better and I'm going to make it without them. And you can, mm -hmm. but damn, there's so much good stuff to come from these guys. And they're mostly guys. There's women too, but like the, the old timers, they know amazing things that you want them to show you. And oh, you really don't want them to hate you. Um, and it's not that hard to make them not hate you, but you do have to put in some work. Um, cause they're not going to be like, Oh, hello, young child. Like, nice to meet you. I'm going to tell you everything I know. They're mostly going to tell you to F off mostly. Um, so are you ready? You know, cause now you got to go figure out how to make someone who doesn't want anything to do with you, listen to you and sort of like start giving you tips. Well, they're not, it's not going to happen until you prove that you're worth a shit to those people. And it sucks because, you know, some of these people don't, I don't know, they seem very difficult, but like, I swear to God, most of them are waiting for someone to give a shit about this stuff that we all love. We love all this stuff. And so do they. And, but, but you got to show them that otherwise they just think you're there to take an easy way out, which you don't want to show mm -hmm. them. They didn't have it easy, and they're definitely not going to expect you to have it easy. Um, but at the same time, like, you don't want to be treated really bad either. So it's, it's, it's tough. Like, at what point do you walk away because they're not respecting you? And then at what point do you just sit there and take it because they're going to teach you invaluable stuff, and they're going to die anyway? <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> That's terrible. But, like, what are, we, what are we all doing here? You know? I don't know. No, I think what you reject and why, because maybe they could have taught you something that's going to change the way that you operate your entire world. And you could just be mad about something stupid that doesn't matter or, or a pride thing. Does that matter? Or do you want to know what's going on? I'll throw in something from our last episode with Courtney. She said her first five years, she was doing embedded systems design engineering or something. She was an engineer, right? She was like, my job was meh. 
and my paycheck, you know, she went to work and she didn't feel any passion. And then she found automation and robotics. And now uh, she, she just, she loves what she does and it comes through and you can tell. And I think those of us that found our place in it, like we, we, we realize it and we, we, we just now, like, you can't get, you can't get out of it. Cause there's something about it that like just scratches that itch for us or we're excited about. And there's plenty to change. There's plenty to learn for a lifetime of learning in this career. Um, but if you're out there and you're in somewhat of an adjacent career to automation and manufacturing and you're meh, you know, bored, come here and you won't be bored. That's one, that's the one thing that's for sure. Absolutely. I think that those are really good points. I have said it in the past and I'll say it again. I've only gotten to the place where I am in my career by gaining knowledge from, from other people. Uh, some of it is given willingly. Like some people are, are very happy to, to <laughs> willingly give their knowledge, especially if you ask and especially if you show some, some aptitude in it. And some of it is like literally like pulling nails uh, one after the other to just learn kind of like little bits and pieces. And, and and it is only through the combination of that. I hope that our industry gets better. And there are certainly folks like Vlad and, and other folks doing training sites out there who who make that information much more accessible uh, and it's certainly a lot better now than it was 10 years ago even five years ago uh but we, we still have a long way to go if we ever want to compete against i don't know anyone else who like openly talks about what, what they do at work and gets to a point in which maybe someday we can explain we can tell people what they do and it's not a four-hour conversation of oh what, what is that and i don't understand that and i've, I've never seen that so i, I think that, that that is all very valuable. Thank you both. And then the last question is kind of open-ended. How, how can our network, uh, how can our network help you? I'd love to hear, uh, Nikki, if you can give us kind of the pitch one more time on automation ladies and where to find them, give us the pitch on, on quote beam, um, anything else that you're looking for. And then Allie, the same thing for, for process controls and, uh, and engineering, uh, please. Sure. Okay. Automation ladies, if you listen to podcasts, if you're that, if you know, you do that, whether driving or working out or whatever, you can find us on iTunes and Spotify and most of those podcast places you like to listen to. Um, Automation Ladies, pretty easy. Our website is automationladies.io and there you can find all of our episodes. You can stream directly from there or find, you know, um, see, we have some other things on there uh, as well. We're going to be posting videos and things. Um, And there is also, if you want to be, um, a guest on our show. We'd love to talk to you. We love to learn about all different types of positions within the industry, um, hear different people's stories. So there is a section you can contact us on the website if you want to be a guest. And you can also leave us voice notes. Nobody's used it yet. Mm. We haven't really publicized it yet, but there's a feature on the website for you to like leave us a message. Um, and like we can listen to it and put it in our show at some point. So please do that. Mm. Uh, also follow us on LinkedIn. So we do have LinkedIn live events uh, on occasion, whether it's uh, interview episodes or we also are doing um, industry panels around different topics where we have experts. Um, We like to have these types of conversations (laughs) Um, and have different perspectives. So uh, follow us on LinkedIn and join those events when you see them. So that's about automation, ladies. We will also be at some, you know, trade shows and things like that coming up this year. Uh, automate in Detroit in particular, I know we're going to be at, and we're still trying to finalize our schedule for some other stuff. Uh, so 
if you're at one of those shows, uh, we would love to meet you in person. Um, we love meeting everybody that, you know, interacts with us on the internet or listens to our show. We appreciate it very much. Uh, on the quote beam side, if you are a person that does any kind of procurement <laughs> or specifying for projects, uh, you know, panel builder, systems integrator, OEM, at this point, even MRO, you know, people are having a hard time finding spares for things. What we're doing at Quotebeam is we have a super easy to use marketplace. Um, primarily right now, if you know what part number you're searching for, um, search for the part number. And we work with distributors of those products that have stock to make it easy to find and buy their stock. So it may not be your local regional distributor, um, but somebody around the country or in the world might have what you're looking for. And we try to make it as easy as possible to find those parts that are in stock, make it easy for you to buy them and uh, we ship them right to you. So, um, and if you are a distributor that has any stock that you would like to sell uh, to somebody that, you know, a lot of projects um, a lot of inventory that sits out there is because a distributor had a big OEM customer. They used to order something. They changed the spec. They ended up with stuff on the shelf that wasn't used or, you know, things are left over from value add projects, whatever it is. There isn't a big demand for that in their local market. So they're not actively selling it. Um, mm -hmm. And these are these huge, dark, just kind of pockets of disconnected information really is what, what it is, is inventory. But it's a lack of information that makes it hard. Uh, and that's what we're trying to do at Quopium is bring everybody together. So if you're a distributor, uh, we would love to work with you. It's another channel to help move your inventory. Um, and if you're anybody that buys parts, um, right now, unfortunately, people are spending way too much time on that long tail of a few parts that they can't get. Uh, that's where we can hopefully save you some time and some heartache by making it easy to find and easy to buy. Uh, so that's Quopium.com. Uh, sorry, Nikki, uh, to cut you off on that last point. I was going to ask, is it open to individuals as well if someone's looking to purchase like a PLC for learning purposes or like, is that is that an open? Uh, it is open for anybody. So it is, think of it like an Amazon. Um, you can create an account. It's free. Uh, you can see, we are working on a lot of tools to help. Uh, like if you don't know exactly what you're looking for, but you know that you want a certain function or you want to browse mm -hmm. a certain category, um, we are actively, we finally hired like some designers. Uh, we're actively working on those sorts of things as well as some cool light tools to help with selection. Um, so to help speed up the process of, let's say designing a, a panel, if you you know are not super proficient at that yet to save you a little bit of time. So you don't have to be doing it from scratch or in Excel we can make some recommendations and it's completely vendor agnostic. So we have data um, and we will be having the spec sheets, the drawings, the pictures, um, the attributes for every brand in the industry um, at some point. We're working on it. We have, I think, uh, shoot, over 11 million SKUs so far on the site and we're wow. actively adding more. Um, we have uh, an open role for a data engineer um, coming up that we're going to be putting a lot more effort into that side of things. Uh, but it really should be like the the easiest go-to place where you can compare apples to apples, specs and information, instead of having to go to hundreds of different distributors or manufacturers' websites to dig out the part the, the information that you need, um, as well as with some information about what's available um, and what's in stock. And then we're working on a whole lot of workflow automation on the back end. So we understand that you know people have relationships with their distributors. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is valuable, technical, you know, value add, know-how. There's no way that an online marketplace should replace that. It's just mm -hmm. to help. Um, and then 
you know, those people that have those relationships to be able to do their business a little bit more uh, frictionless with like, we have online collaboration tools like Slack and the tech industry and everybody else has been using that sort of thing for, I don't know, five to 10 years now. And we're just kind of coming up on using some Teams and some Zoom and stuff like that because we had to, <laughs> because of, you know, COVID. But honestly, we could be collaborating uh, with the engineers, procurement buyers, the vendors, the distributors, right? Sometimes you need all of these people in the process from design to procurement to actually building the machine. And we want it to be easy for everybody to work together on these projects and save a little bit of time so that they can use their time to build more machines or, you know, to actually enjoy your job. Like engineers that are designing things don't want to spend half their time on finding parts or procurement. That's not what they're supposed to be doing. It's not what any of them want to be doing. Um, and so we want to you know, introduce some automation to the back end of the automation industry so we can do more of what we love. No, absolutely. I love that. And just judge for anyone who couldn't see Vlad's face while, while Nikki was talking. I'm pretty sure Nikki's got like, I don't know, like 87 different strange, uh, obscure requests in order to go plug all of the stuff uh, behind Vlad and around his feet uh, <laughs> together on, on quote beams. So, so Nikki, thank you for that. That is that is awesome. Um, good luck on finding all of the strange parts that, that Vlad just requested. Uh, I've already submitted quotes. <laughs> I was I was going to say, I was going to say, I, I could see the look on Vlad's face and you, you just know. So anyone listening know that you're in the queue long behind Vlad's last, I don't know, thousand quotes in, in eight days when, when this comes out. But uh, but no, th thank you for that, Nikki. Definitely go check out Quote Beam and Automation Ladies. Uh, those are in the, the live chats. And then we will also go ahead and put those in the podcast form if you're if you're listening. Uh, we lost Allie somewhere, uh, so, somewhere along the way. Um, so if, if she pops back in, we will let her go and, and give the pitch on process controls and engineering uh pce uh, pce i think pce llc on linkedin yes. she's got it um I can do the pitch for her go oh nikki well, let's go yeah. so pce llc um it's pce.llc is her website process and controls engineering is the pacific northwest's premier women-owned process and controls engineering firm and so she's based in the pacific northwest she does work she has I think clients in all over the place, right? Cause she can remote and she can fly. Um, she works on, she's a process engineer. So she works on a lot of process automation related stuff, but discrete automation as well. Um, she's burner controls, gases. I mean, all kinds of stuff. She works airports, landfills, cookie factories, you name it. Um, but she has got a really great network of experts that she can pull in on her projects. So she is a younger, you know, company that she's built that on back of her reputation of being somebody that can be trusted to complete a project. She does what needs to be done. Um, she'll fly on site. She'll get the expert there. Uh, and she has a huge network of people to pull in. Um, and, and it is a great resource for any kind of controls related, uh, especially if you, you know, have don't have the capacity um, and you need a little bit of extra help. Um, her and her firm and her network can be a huge asset uh, to you, particularly she works with a lot of municipalities and on like mission critical infrastructure stuff, water, wastewater. Um, yeah, definitely check out her website, pce.llc, or you can find her on LinkedIn. That was at least as good, if not better than I think anyone else could have done. So, so 
Thank you for that. Uh, th thank you for that, uh, Nikki. You have certainly done Ali uh, well and, and honestly was much better th than I could have come up with on the spot. So, so thank you very much uh, for that. And thank you everyone for listening. This has been an amazing conversation with the automation ladies. One of, I, I hope, many more to come uh, in the coming months and years as we continue to talk about all awesome things, manufacturing and automation. I will say if you've managed to make it this far, please go and hit that subscribe both to Manufacturing Hub, what you're listening to now, and also Automation Ladies, and give everyone a five-star rating on Apple uh, po Podcasts and Spotify and, and uh all of those other places that we can now rate uh, podcasts. If you if you rate podcasts, they help. Go hit that follow button so we automatically download and goes and helps to to bump up our listens and also make sure that we're available on your commute to or from site or to and from anywhere that you're going to. Uh, follow Manufacturing Hub and Automation Ladies on LinkedIn and myself and Nikki and Vlad and Allie. All of our LinkedIn profiles are all of our LinkedIn profiles are on the event, and I can attest that every single one of us spends way too much time on LinkedIn. So if, if you are looking or have a question for something, uh, please feel free to ask. And like I like to tell people, if I don't respond, please ask again, because I probably just missed the message uh, somewhere along the way. Until next week, we will see everyone soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Bye. Nikki. Appreciate yep.